Thank you, thank you. I'll take you on the road with me. Uh, so have a good audience. A uh, couple other things uh, for me to mention just before I get in the sermon. We have uh, Daily Wisdom, and you can just sign up for it on our website, and it just sends out a verse for the day out of Proverbs with a little wisdom statement for you to read. And then also we have a Bible reading plan where you can read through the entire Bible in one year, and you can actually hook it up where when you get the daily uh, devotion, uh, it'll have the Bible reading part on there of where you're supposed to read that for that day so please or you can just go out in the lobby and there's a sheet out there with all the days and the places on it so pick that up and start reading the word and you'll see changes in your life uh, immediately as you start doing the things that God tells us to do now all of us to stand up in front of a group whether it's on the stage at a church or in a classroom or you know on the job when you're teaching someone you're communicating And there are certain skills that you need to have to communicate. And one of the great problems with communication is that people think it's happening and it's not. I'm telling you one thing and what I think you're getting, you got something completely different. And that reminded me of a little story that I heard of this man who bought this little puppy. And so he decided he was going to train this puppy himself. He didn't need any help from anybody else. And he looked at all the videos online, and he's going to you know, train this puppy to be housebroken. So he put all the papers down. He put the things down with the smell and this and that and the other. Did everything that they said, and every day he came home, there'd be a puddle right in the middle of the floor. So finally he said, all right, the dog's not getting it. So he came home one day. Now, he was so frustrated. He went over and he got the dog. He rubbed his little paw in it and walked over and put him out the front door and said, that goes out here. And he did that every day for three or four days, thinking the dog's going to learn. Finally, he came home one day. A little dog ran over, rubbed his paw in the water, and jumped out the front door. <laughs> what he thought he was teaching that dog was not what that dog was getting. So hopefully today, what I teach you, none of you are going to jump out the door when I get finished. You'll get what I'm saying. But I know that'll happen because the Holy Spirit will help me, and then it'll help you. So let's pray before we get into the sermon. Father, thank you today for Jesus. He gives us our life. And I ask you today to help me just open my mouth and let you speak through me. Because each person here has something in their life that you can touch, that you can help them with whether they're in the congregation right here or whether they're walking or watching online, speak to them, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, if you don't, there'll be scriptures up on the screen or on your phone or something. Uh, Go back to Genesis chapter 2, and I'm going to start there and preach all the way through the Bible. Um, (laughs) After all, this service is early. I got a long time. No, I'm teasing. (laughs) You know what happens at the beginning in Genesis. God created the heavens and the earth. And he did it by speaking, by the words that he said. So don't go around saying that your words aren't important because they created everything we see. But after God created everything, then it says in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. A few years back with all this cloning going on, some scientists went to God and said, God, we can create a human. We know how to do it. And God said, okay, well, let me watch you. And they ran over and grabbed some dirt, and God said, ah, oh, that's my dirt. You'll get your own. 
When it says here that God breathed into them, that's the Spirit of God. Throughout the Bible, the word breath represents the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. And it's also in the literal Hebrew, it says that when God breathed into Adam, he became a talking spirit. Adam, that spirit on the inside of Adam was God's spirit. You know, we are a three-part being. We are a spirit. We live in a body, and we have a soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. And you have to take care of all three parts to be healthy. And one part will affect the other two. So you have to be careful to make sure that you're ministering to all of them. That's one reason why pastors, when they get finished speaking, sometimes are so tired. Because we're ministering physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And you have to take that into account. But all of us are spiritual beings. But God, when he created Adam and Eve, then he, he said, I want someone who's going to love me because they want to, not because they have to. You know, you wouldn't want your husband or your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, even your child or whatever to do that. Well, I had to. It's Mother's Day. I had to get you this. No, you want them to want to do that. But the only way that God could assure that they were loving him because they wanted to was to give them 100% free choice to love him or not to love him. You know, a lot of people say, and you hear it all the time, everything in your life happens for a reason. Yeah, and sometimes that reason was your stupid choices. Anybody like me ever made any? I could, take, I could take a while and tell you some stupid choices that I made. All right. So what do you do when you make a dumb or stupid choice and you get a problem? You stop. You say, Lord, forgive me. Now help me get out of this like I did with my tithing. I got to make the right choice. What's the next right thing I can do to help get me out of this? And just do that one thing. And then do the next one thing. And the next one thing. And the next one thing. All right? To work your way back to where you should have been before you made that choice. Right? But and God gave Adam and Eve a choice. And in Genesis 2.17, he's speaking to them about the trees in the garden. And he said, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Now, we all know they didn't die. But that's because we're thinking physical. We're, we got natural eyes, and we're looking at the natural things around us, and they didn't die in the natural. But what we as physical beings keep forgetting is the world we're looking at is the temporary world. Somebody, sometimes people, when you tell them spiritual things, they say, yeah, but that doesn't work here in the real world. Well, hey, this is the temporary world. The spirit world is the real world. This world is going to pass away. It will be gone. It's not going to last forever. The spirit world is what's going to last forever. So when Adam and Eve sinned, and then they said, oh, we're naked. It wasn't because they didn't have any clothing on. After all, it was only Adam and Eve, husband and wife. Surely they'd seen each other naked. But here what happened is up until this point, the presence of God had been in them and on them. Had God's arms were wrapped around them. He, they, you're my child. You're part of my family. He had his peace, his love, his joy, the comfort of God on them 24 hours a day. And suddenly, we're naked. They ain't here anymore. 
that's the death that they died. It was a spiritual death that Adam and Eve died. That's why when you and I are born, our spirit is dead on the inside of us. Now, immediately, there had to be a way figured out to get Adam and Eve and all mankind back into God's presence because God said, I love them. Let's do something about it. So in Genesis 3.15, God gives the first prophetic utterance about Jesus coming. He's talking to the serpent, and he says here that I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. You're going to strike his heel. Jesus is going to be beaten and died, but he's ultimately going to destroy you and crush your head. He's going to overcome that. And then God instituted a system of blood offerings because Leviticus 17 twice tells us, just in this one chapter, it's other places as well, that the life is in the blood. That was 4,000 years ago. It's only been in the last 100 years or so that scientists have finally said, hey, you know what? I think life's in the blood. (laughs) Well, just listen to God. You know these sorts of things, right? So... That life had to be shed for our sin. And now the the, the blood didn't change the sin. It didn't take the sin away. It didn't change the person. It simply covered it. So that when God looked down, he saw the blood. And he said, a life has been given for the sin that took place. The example of that, the best one, is in Exodus 12 at the, the, the Passover where Moses and the children of Israel are in Egypt. And I remember for years and years, you know, they said Passover, and I thought it was some mystical name behind it, something really cool, until I realized, oh, he just passed over their house. <laughs> Duh. Right? But God said, all right, I want Moses, you tell them, get everybody together, make the sacrificial lamb, and there's all the requirements for the perfect lamb and all the food, way, certain way to cook it and who can eat it and who can be there and the foods that go with it and on and on and on. And then he said, but then tell them to take a, a leafy branch and put blood on the doorpost and across the top the door. And when the death angel comes and he sees the blood, he will pass over that house and nobody in that house will die. So God saw the blood. Well, that's what happened with the animal sacrifices. But with that taking place, people said, you know, I've got to do something to get back to God. And religions were formed around the world. Now, religion simply means doing the same thing over and over. That's the definition of the word. Not serving God or praying or doing... They religiously went to that meeting every week. So it was a religion. You religiously brush your teeth, I hope. Um, That means you just keep doing the same thing over and over. So religions were created by man. And I want to just give you a couple of things that today, January the 1st, 2023, there are religions in this world. And not some small little obscure religion that three people go to. This religion has almost a billion followers. And Every day in that country, they drive trucks around and pick up dead people off the sidewalk where they've starved to death. But there are cows walking around the streets because the cows are holy and sacred, and we can't eat that cow. And they're dying from hunger. That same religion, their whatever you call them, your, your priests or your spiritual leaders, will actually take a bath and add rat urine and rat feces into it. 
and smear it all over their bodies because they're letting God know, see, this body means nothing to me. And the devil is laughing his head off, and God's just, oh, my word, my children. They think that's going to get them closer to God. There's a religion that has over a billion people that follow it, that has a shrine where you crawl on your hands and knees over a rocky path that causes your knees and hands to be bloodied and bruised, and you crawl up there, and you bow down, and you pray to this person who died there years ago, and that's supposed to talk to God for you in heaven and get you in the right standing with God. There are religions where people don't say a word for weeks or months because I'm keeping my body in subjection. Your body has nothing to do with your salvation, by the way. But anyway, or they'll mutilate their bodies. They'll cut themselves and hurt themselves. When Sitting Bull and Custer out there in, in, uh, at the Little Bighorn in Dakota, South Dakota, I've been out there to the, to the battlefield. And the night before that battle, Sitting Bull cut 50 pieces of flesh off his arms and offered them to his God. People are doing that around the world. And yet... None of that works. Doesn't get you closer to God. It doesn't give you right standing with God. It doesn't make it so that you can walk into God's presence. No, you got to stay away from God even with all. Well, none of that works. And what in the world can we do to get our sins forgiven? And why can't I do something that would impress God? Enough that he says, oh, they love me. Look what they're doing for me. Well, the Bible tells us that. In Romans 7, 18, it says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me because I have a sinful nature. Ephesians 2, 1, As for you, you were dead in your sin. Can't do a lot when you're dead. Job 25, 4, How then can a mortal be righteous before God? How can one be born of a woman be pure? Then in Job 14, 4, how, who can bring what is pure from what is impure? No one. I can't reach down inside of me and bring out something that's pure to give to God when everything that's in there is impure. I can't w- reach into my wallet and bring out a $100 bill when there's not a $100 bill in there. Right? So we, we don't have anything to give to God. And then David in Psalm 51, he said, surely... When, I, when my mother conceived me, I was full of sin. We're born that way. And then the one that's the most popular, and there's a lot more, but I don't think you guys want to stay here all afternoon, so I'll just give you those. But the last one is Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We are shriveled up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins swept us away. So he says, we're unclean like someone who has leprosy. And then he says, at the end, our sin, we've withered up like a leaf. And it is our sin that has blown us away from God. But when it says our righteousness is as filthy rags, the Hebrew there literally means soiled menstrual cloth. And that's your best. That's what you're going to take before God. No wonder he can't accept our sacrifice. No wonder he can't accept something that we do for him. It's not worthy. What we have to do is we have to find someone or something, some action that takes place on a whole different level 
than what we're on. When I thought of that, I thought about race cars, of course. You've been around any time, you, you know. That's, um, I actually just finished my office, and I have a bunch of history stuff on this side, maps and p- pictures of places I've been. I have a big, long wall of a, the side panel of a race car and all kinds of pictures of places and races and stuff that I've gone to and people with. And then on this side, I have stuff from my childhood, and I tell people I have my three favorite things in here, history, racing, and me. <laughs> but in thinking about going to that next level, I thought about the times when I thought, I'm pretty good at driving. My father was a crane operator, and if you go down to the crosstown and look at underneath it, those big double T's, they call them, he unloaded every one of those out of the form and put them on the trucks to take them down there. The man would sit there in, the, in there in that crane, and I've seen the back of it lifted up to where you could walk underneath it about the tip over, and he's sitting there in the seat like drinking a Coke just like he's watching a ball game because he knows exactly how much he can push that machine, that equipment to. So I thought, well, you know, that's all race cars are. And I've, I ran some heavy equipment, front-end loader. I've been kicked off of two or three go-kart tracks in the Tampa area, you know, for, uh, for real, three. Um, for going, you know, they thought I was going too fast and being reckless, but I was really close to the track record when they kicked me off. Um, but I was too cheap to pay any more money to get it anyway. I wasn't going to pay that. But I go to a track over in um, St. Pete. Now, I did go to a regular race car track and get into school, and there were four of us, and I lapped the other three twice, all right, because I didn't follow what they said. They said, stop, take off your, the gas when you get here to the turn, and don't mash the gas you get over there. And I did that the first time, and I said, I'm not paying $400 for this. So... <laughs> I started going further. And then they flagged me and said, get in here. Get. So I came off, and, and I thought they were going to kick me off the track. And the guy leaned down and goes, you're going too high on the curve. Turn it more and stay down. He's telling me how to go faster. <laughs> All right. But anyway, I go to this track over here, and there's two tracks, a small one and a large one. The small one, you go one at a time, and they time you. And you got to go on the small one and make sure that you're good enough where you can go on the big one. Well, I went on the little one, the little road course, and uh, I was a couple tenths from the track record right off, and okay, I want to go get on the big one, because when you get on the big one, you got to wear the fire suit, a helmet, you take a video, and they put you in a race. There's like 10 carts out there, you line up side by side, you got a flagman and the whole bit, and they drop the flag and you're off, so they, you know, hey, I'm, I'm good. So they drop the flag, I take off, I move up to like fourth pretty quickly, and I'm on the bumper of the guy in front of me, looking how I can pass him, you know, inside, outside, what, and the, the flagman has, a, one of the flags they have is a move over flag. It's purple with a diagonal line, and it means guy behind you is faster, obviously, get over and let him go. So I come around, and he waves that flag, so I'm waiting for the guy in front of me to get over. We come around, we go around and come back. This time he's picked up the flag to where it's like a pointer. And he looks right at me and we make eye contact and he drops the flag. He's telling me to move over. So I look, you know, there's a guy behind me. So that was the end of that guy in front of me. We go in the next turn, boom, I hit him and I'm gone. All right, I got to go. Well, we come back around and he gives me the flag again. I said, all right, I'm going to move over. That guy's faster than me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to learn something. Does he go into the curve low? Does he go into the curve high? You know, you're slower, but it's shorter distance. Faster, but it's longer distance. Do you go way into the turn and then slam on the brakes and go come out later? Or do you go stop way back here and go in and come out sooner? You know, all these things that I'm going to watch him. So I move over. It's a left-hand turn. 
I move over. I remember because it was so embarrassing. I move over to the right. He goes underneath me. We go about from here to the sound booth. That's all we went. And then it was, you know, a right-hand turn because this was the left. That was the right. I take off. I see him go in the turn. I come around. He's gone a little further than that. But when I come around the curve, he's not there. He's gone. He has disappeared. <laughs> I was going as fast as I could, and that guy is gone. So, of course, my ego had to say, well, sometimes professional drivers practice on this track. <laughs> and he probably had his own go-kart, which is much faster than mine. But the, the truth of the matter was, is that driver, whoever he was, was on a whole different level of driving than I was. And nothing I could do at that point was going to change anything. Jesus is on a whole different level than you and I have ever been on. Now, here are some of the reasons that you and I couldn't qualify for our sins to be forgiven, but yet Jesus did qualify Isaiah 7.14 says you have to be born of a virgin. Sorry, we're all out. <laughs> you know, that's like first pitch in the baseball game. I'm done, game over. No reason to go any further, but we will. Hebrews chapter nine, 5 and 7 says that he has to be perfect. Well, I'm about this close from it, but... No, I don't qualify for that either. Now, my wife's not here, so I can say that. So. <laughs> then 1 Corinthians and Isaiah both say that this person has to be righteous. That means they have right standing before God. I could not stand in God's presence with the sin in my life or that I had in my life. Then it says in 2 Corinthians and in Hebrews again that he's without sin. I don't know about you, but... Sometimes I might have a bad thought or say something I shouldn't say. Use a finger I shouldn't use. Now, in racing, you know, you're just telling them they're number one. All right. Then it says that this person went to hell. You know, you do know, in case you don't know, Jesus, when he died, he went to hell. Because remember, Adam and Eve died a spiritual death. A physical death could not pay for a spiritual sin. So that spiritual, that meant, and spiritual death is complete and total separation from God, which happens in hell. So Jesus, the Bible says, went to hell. He suffered in hell. Then it says that he made a spectacle, made them look like a bunch of fools when he walked over and took the keys to death, hell, and the grave and came back up to be alive. I don't know about you, but I can't do that. <laughs> uh, again, I, I don't qualify. Then it, he goes on to say that after that, Jesus presented himself in the heavenly tabernacle to God. Boy, I, it's like your list. Nope, 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 nope. I can't do that either. Hebrews chapter 9, the author there, I'm going to kind of paraphrase that chapter, and I encourage you to go and read it for yourself. But he starts off by say, talking about the earthly tabernacle. And that there was a, you know, there's the courtroom, and then there's a, a holy place, and then there's the most holy. And in the holy place, you had 
the lampstand and the um, table of showbread, um, altar of incense, and then the priests went in there on a regular basis. But the most holy place, the holy of holies, they only went in there one time a year because that's where the presence of God was. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. The Ark was a box of Achaia wood that was completely covered with gold. It had angels on the top that were bowing down, facing each other, and their wings touched. Inside that box was a gold jar that had the actual manna that fell out from heaven down when Moses and the children of Israel were in the wilderness. It had the rod that Aaron used. And when you go back and read about the Ten Commandments, you'll see that in most places when the rod was used, it was Aaron's rod. Moses took the rod that Aaron had. It wasn't his. But that dead stick budded and bloomed a little flower. That rod is in the ark. And then also the stone tablets that God wrote with his finger the Ten Commandments is in that ark and when you went into that most holy place they would actually uh, tie a rope around your waist and there would be little pomegranates or stuff at the bottom of your your robe because if you went in there with sin in your life you'd fall down dead and if they went in to get you they'd fall down dead because they weren't supposed to be in there so they didn't want your dirty carcass stinking up the place so they had a rope around it to pull you out right Now, if I told you today, when you go to church, you're walking in the presence of God, and if you got any sin in your life, we'll be calling 911 to come get you. I doubt very many of us would be here. In fact, you'd probably be with me down at the coffee place. But once a year, they had to go in that, and they always took blood. And then the author of Hebrews says but that was just a ceremony and a bunch of regulations because Jesus took that blood into the a sanctuary in a holy place not made by hands and he went into that one not with the blood of animals but with his own blood and where the earthly priest had to do that once a year over and over Jesus only had to do it one time to get our sins Forgiven, You see, that's why Jesus had to go, because we don't meet any of these qualifications. Jesus, John chapter 3, John records Jesus talking to the Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. And most of us know the story because of John 3.16, which Jesus told Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But the story around that, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because he didn't want anybody to see him. And he comes up to Jesus, and in John chapter 3, the first thing that he says there is uh, he butters Jesus up. Oh, we know you're from God because of all the signs you've done. And Jesus ignores him and tells him to get a life. He really truly does. He said, be born again. Unless you're born again, you won't go to heaven. When Nicodemus thinks physical. And Nicodemus says, ain't no way I can crawl back outside my mama and come out again. They said you were teaching some weird things like eat my flesh and all that. But go inside my mama. And now Jesus did not even acknowledge what the man said. Go read it. He didn't even comment on what Nicodemus said. He just thought, Nicodemus, well, you obviously didn't get that one. Remember that communication thing I was talking about? You didn't get that one, so let me try again. So then Jesus looks at him and says, 
uh, you, what, you must be born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Now, the word again, when Jesus said you must be born again, the Greek word there is anothen, A-N-O-T-H-E-N. And there's two definitions or two meanings. And I believe that both apply here. One of them is again, and that's why we have you must be born again. The other one is born from above. So Jesus is telling Nicodemus when he says that, Nicodemus, you've got to be born from above. That it has to come from God. And he says, Nicodemus, you're Israel's teacher and you don't know this? You really shouldn't be surprised. And then Jesus talks to him, uh, when he talks about that water and the spirit, Nicodemus was a priest. He knew about that. They had special water that they sprinkled on all the things in the temple all the time to ritually purify them. And when you talk about the water and the spirit, it automatically would take this man who's a Hebrew scholar you know, who studied the Bible every day for hours and hours and hours, their Torah, what we call the Old Testament, it would have immediately made him think of Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37. And in chapter 36, it talks about God created a new Eden. He says, you've been scattered over there, but I'm going to pull you back. And when I pull you back, I'm going to take out that fleshly heart you have, and I'm going to give you that stone hard heart. I'm going to give you a fleshly heart. From my spirit. Ezekiel uh, 36, verse 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of your stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. He's saying, Look, Nicodemus, I'm going to give you a new heart. That new heart is going to make you love me. Amen. It's not going to be a problem anymore. You know, and a lot of times we say, Pastor Larry, I know what you're saying, and I tried to be good. I tried to do that, and I just couldn't. Yeah, I'm there with you. But Pastor Larry, I was just made that way. My family's that way. I, I don't know what else to do. I don't know how to get Yeah, I'm right there with you. The only way I was ever able, just like many of you, to stop doing those terrible things we were doing, hurting ourselves, hurting others, living a horrible lifestyle, was when we finally stopped and said, Jesus, help me. And Jesus will always say, okay. People say, well, maybe I committed that unpardonable sin. You know what the unpardonable sin is? It's when you constantly say no to the Holy Spirit that's drawing you to him. Because as long as you, can, you keep saying no, he can't forgive you. Because you have free choice to make a good decision or not. Now, in after Ezekiel 36, it goes into 37. What's in 37? There are dry bones everywhere. The Spirit of God comes on those dry bones. They begin to connect to each other. Flesh gets on them. God breathes in them. He gives them life. A new creation He made of humans based on His Spirit that came into them. This is what Jesus is telling Nicodemus in chapter 3. Nicodemus, you shouldn't be surprised if you read your Torah. That I'm talking about God creating a new group of humans, a new race from up above. Because that's what Ezekiel was talking about. That's why you and I don't qualify. And all we can do is trust in what Jesus did. You know, um, Philippians chapter 2, verse 
6 through 11, a familiar passage to many of you that Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. And he says, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Of course, talking about Jesus. Rather, he made himself of nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Paul is saying, can you imagine living in heaven? We think about the splendor and the glory and the majesty of heaven. Can you imagine someone saying, I'm going to leave that and go down to the earth in a day and time where they don't have air conditioning? No running water. Got to walk everywhere I go. I'm going to go down there and be one of them and I'm going to lay aside all my heavenly privileges and I'm going to be tempted just like they are and I'm going to have to fight to stay pure and I'm going to go down there and do that for them and then because Jesus did that God highly exalted him above every name you know when we humble ourselves and say Jesus I need your help I can't do this myself then God just lifts us up and brings us into his family. Because all that other stuff doesn't impress God at all. But loving his boy, that impresses God. And he says, come on in. Hopefully, as this new year starts, all of us will remember just how great Jesus was just how marvelous it was the things that he did for us and if you don't know this Jesus what a better there's no better way than to start off this year knowing Jesus there's no better way for us who do know Jesus to start this year off but then rather than us just saying thank you Jesus because as a Christian you get so used to doing things that after a while it kind of doesn't impress you that much you've done it and you've done it and you've done it and you've done it And we need to stop sometimes and just remember just how much Jesus really did for us.